Boys, how are you doing? Uh, United won today. They won a football match today. They did, although in the second half they did their very best not to win. It was uh, a, a game of two halves. <laughs> I literally can't believe you've started with a negative spin in a game we scored like three <laughs> goals. Zlatan's back, Pogba scored a world eight. You're like, no, the second half was not good enough for my life. No, I mean, you know, you were very good in the first half. I, I guess we have to temper that with... Um, I mean, Swansea are definitely the weakest opponent United have played this season, I'd say. And and they had, what, pre-season levels of intensity during that first half. I don't know what Bob Bradley's done in his four games as Swansea manager, but he's sucked all belief out of them already, hasn't he? It's funny, we talked about um, they were kind of unlucky not to get a result against Liverpool a few weeks ago, which I think was Bob Bradley. Um, they... Uh, we're kind of unlucky not to get a result against Arsenal. They got a, a creditable draw against, I think, Watford. Um, and then they got absolutely uh, tonked by Stoke away. Um, and that set them up nicely to get absolutely tonked by us. Yeah, and, and for 45 minutes, United were very good. Passed the ball really quickly. Um, it, it was an odd system, wasn't it? I mean, I think uh, Yumi and producer Tom uh, sent a few messages to each other. None of us were that confident, having seen the team sheet. A very, very odd back four and like 17 central midfielders in the team. And, um, and, and for a, quite a while, even though United were well on top, I couldn't tell who was in central midfield and who was at number 10. And I guess Mata and Rooney were supposed to be wide, but they both basically played at 10 and... Pogba, who's supposed to be at 10, played at 10. And Fellaini get bombing forward too. So it worked somehow. Um, I described it, uh, United's formation today, as older gentlemen doing what took their fancy. Um, that seemed to be the general gist of our play. Well, it's also how three-year-olds play. You know, give them a ball and they'll all chase it. <laughs> uh, but it worked beautifully because uh, some of those three-year-olds are absolutely brilliant at football and they showed it. Uh, so... When the lineup came out, there was the usual um, smattering of people going, oh, why don't you wait and see what happens on the pitch before you complain about the lineup?" And I kind of understand that. But on the other hand, I don't know how you can react to seeing that team. I mean, you could just choose not to react at all. But if you do see that team sheet, you're going to go, what? Uh, you've got Ashley Young playing at right back, um, a position even Louis van Gaal rarely played him in. He occasionally played him in played him there to be fair, but um yeah, uh, Damian at left back, Jones coming back into the side, that's kind of brings the shivers. You got Rooney, Fellaini, Mata and Ibrahimovic all in the same team, so you're thinking slow. Um I saw somebody including Pogba in the reasons Man United would be slow, and I thought that was a bit odd because he's not slow. Um but yeah, so it was a, a kind of slightly terrifying starting eleven, I thought. But uh, the one thing that I thought was, well, if Pogba and Ibrahimovic play well, we've got a chance. And uh, they did. They did, yeah. Ibra finally got on the score sheet. He's, he'd scored once in the previous 11 games um, prior to today. So uh, very nice to see him back. And before he scored, he, he, was, he was already looking brighter, I thought. I mean, he plucked one out of the air, swivelled and smashed a 50-yard board with, ball with his left foot at one stage, which was... Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, contrast that with the first major touch or contribution Fellaini had where he just managed to run the ball out of play. Uh, not quite as embarrassing as that one when he was uh, playing for David Moyes and he ran the ball for like 40 yards out of play. But, you know, not far off. Um, but, yeah, um, Ibra good, Pogba very good. He's so much better with the ball in front of him, I think. You know, and he just he seemed to pick up the right spaces so he could get the ball in front of him and not 
um, not uh, play sort of uh, with the ball behind him all the time and having to turn um, as he sometimes does when he's he's at number ten. So uh, you know he, he he managed to do it. Although for much of the like the first twenty minutes, I was going ah Rooney and Massa in exactly the same zone all the time and getting on top of each other, and they were closing off Pogba's space. Uh, yeah, the. Um... As has been widely pointed out, I think a huge part of the reason why Pogba was able to have the ball in front of him a lot was the presence of Michael Carrick. Uh, once again, United's midfield, I mean, he's played four times this season, I think, and I think that's those are probably our four best midfield performances apart from the first half against Leicester. Um, he just looked, he was just brilliant today, wasn't he? He, he was great, yeah, and uh, you know made a very good case of being included in in United's team against Arsenal. Although I, I guess that's the kind of game in which uh, Mourinho is kind of worried about Carrick, kind of worried that his legs won't hold. But I mean, given the ball, and he's he's absolutely fantastic, and he's just his reading of the game and his understanding of movement means that it never, well, or rarely feels like he's too slow for the game. Now. This was Swansea, and this was a Swansea team that didn't bother to press uh, at all for the first 45 minutes and not much for the second 45 minutes. And so you've got to kind of take that into account. Um, but he was great and magnificent today. And he acts as a force multiplier for Pogba, right? In the same way that Herrera and Mata act as a force multiplier for each other. Having having Carrick on the pitch is just, just gets you, by the way, plus three to Paul Pogba um, if this was a... Magic the Gathering style battling card game. That's way too nerdy a reference for you, Ed. But that, trust me, there's people out there that will get it. Um, you just yeah. So it's 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 great to have Carrick in the team for what it does for Pogba against teams like Swansea. And and I guess we have to uh, well not have to but willingly talk about how uh, reasonably effective Wayne Rooney was. Two assists. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, certainly on the numbers, he's reasonably effective. But let's not lie. Y- you, me and Tom were messaging each other going, bloody hell, what's going on with Rooney? <laughs> so um, two assists and and uh, a part of the first goal too. Yeah, big part, um, really smart big, ball. Yeah, Big part, so yeah, I mean, uh, effective, but he definitely doesn't play like a proper ten. Well, I mean, and, he was, uh, he was, I mean, he was, he was the nominal left winger in this game, so yeah, and he just kept drifting into the centre all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's very good that Swansea didn't want to attack down the right because United would have been in some trouble, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, two assists can't complain about that, and he wasn't so bad. Um, although, you know, of course, Mourinho himself pointed out that. Um, you know, give Rooney space and uh, he'll hit all those Hollywood balls. And or I think he said, if I had the same space, I'd hit a 50 yard pass. So, but I did, um, I did think, um, although like, uh, you know, he, that he did, he did plenty wrong. I did think there was a notable uptick in his general all round level of like ability to control the ball and pick out a pass and make a good decision. Um, and I wonder if the goal at the end against Fenerbahce helped him in that regard or if it was just the kind of like oh the game's kind of happening at his pace in a way because he's surrounded by you know fellow incredibly talented geriatrics um i think there's some of that i mean he's definitely better uh, when the game is of less intensity and he's got more time on the board. Definitely. I mean, he just looks better. I mean, there, there were two occasions in the second half where he really did come inside um and was trying to occupy that 
number 10 spot where he miscontrolled it or mispassed it in the final third where he got a bit more compressed the game and that's where he's not good. Um, so maybe, maybe coming in off the left gives him a little bit more space, maybe. Um, I want to talk a bit more about uh, Pogba and Ibrahimovic because uh, we've touched on them, but uh, absolutely outstanding and vitally important for Ibrahimovic to get in, on the team sheet. And like everyone now will be kind of disappointed that he's not available to play against Arsenal, whereas I think probably quite a lot of people would have been glad to see him given a sort of enforced rest based on his prior form. But, uh, you know, there was some credence for the idea that the underlying numbers are still quite good and are pointing to the fact that it was uh, it was a blip rather than a kind of uh, serious deterioration in, in ability levels. Um, and, yeah, just... Just his two took his two goals really, really well, um, and just kind of very forceful and present. And his touch was good for, and a lot of his decision making was good. I and mean, there was that one, there was a one terrible ball where he tried to fire a ball to Rooney, and it it reminded me of the story of um, Dwight York signing for Man United and uh, in training Roy Keane absolutely smashing a pass at him and then going, Cantona would have trapped it. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, it felt a bit like that. He's like, I don't know, name some brilliant player Ibrahimovic has played with. He would have trapped it. Ibrahimovic is like, instead of saying Cantona would have trapped it, he'd say, I would have trapped that. Um, well, quite, yeah. Well, no, because he'd have talked about himself in the third person. <laughs> Zlatan would have uh, trapped that. Yeah. Um, I mean, true. Yeah. I, I, I think most of uh, his all-round play was very good. I, I wouldn't blame him for that one. You know, <laughs> he's hit a sharp pass into the centre forward. Oh, it was uh, a terrible pass. That, that is not Rooney's fault. That was at 100 miles an hour. That, but he, he hit it with the velocity of a shot. Yeah. No, he didn't. Anyway, uh, his first goal, I mean, Rooney gets the assist. Um, you know, really, it was all about Zlatan, though. Nice controlled turn. It's the second touch that makes the goal. Um, beats the defender and then he's hit a sharp shot quite close to the keeper. I think uh, Big Dave would have definitely saved that one. But, uh, you know, you're not going to take that one away from Zlatan, are you? He really, really needed that goal. And uh, in a way, I think Pogba needed needed the goal too. He needs those to keep coming. Uh, a goal from the very top draw and absolutely an absolute each. In fact, talking of Cantona, uh, not a million miles away from the uh, volley against Liverpool, just in the in the way it went perfectly through a crowd of players without kind of without even kind of hitting any of their um, their aura. Basically, like it just picked picked the perfect line through the defence. Uh, at first, I thought it had taken a deflection, but no, it was just an incredibly sweet hit. Yeah, what a waste of money, hey? <laughs> and and that goal was like vital to United because even though they'd started strongly, you do you do kind of think if Swansea had got a goal, they would have kind of deflated a little bit, probably. Who the United team? Well, I mean, they certainly did in Turkey, and I, I guess we have to get onto that in a bit. But um, yeah, it, it's good the United started strongly. I, I mean, actually, Swansea were bright for the opening few minutes, weren't they? They looked like they had a bit of confidence. Obviously, United's opening goal just destroyed all of that, didn't it? And uh, and it's the kind of fragility of confidence that United have been displaying in recent times. So, yeah, the game was over by half-time. And I, I guess that will um, count for most of the lack of intensity that United displayed during the second half. Although, I don't know, wait, do you, what do you think? Do you think Jose will be happy with that? Because it, it wasn't his substitutions that... Um, dropped United's intensity. It was very much the players, and some of Swansea. Um, I guess they decided they'd won and they were going to switch off a bit, which 
Given what happened over the weekend uh, with Chelsea's performance, which was outstanding, and Liverpool, uh, sadly, also outstanding. Let's not talk about that too much. Neither of them dropped their intensity at all. Yeah, and and that is potentially telling. Um, I'm not. Uh, was Liverpool or uh, Liverpool at home? Yeah. Yeah, I think that maybe makes a little bit of a difference, the fact that United were on the road versus those two teams both being at home. But still, it, it was it was unquestionably... I mean, I was joking about you starting with a negative earlier, but it was un, unquestionably a little disappointing. And it kind of left you... It's, when the second half of a game is really flat and bad, you kind of... It, it's hard to take the texture of the first half performance as the thing you remember from the game. Um, but I think that probably should be, because when you're 3-0 up at half-time, of course you're right, those those two other teams kept at it in a way that United didn't. But I wonder whether they're operating from a kind of more confident platform in a way, and United have a bit of a greater need to solidify. Mm. Not that they solidified, um, but I, I did want to say a, a word for Phil Jones, who... Um, He's become a complete figure of ridicule and fun, Phil Jones, and completely understandably so. There's the the injury proneness. There's, as we said, he he really stalled out his development. But there's a good footballer in there somewhere, isn't there? Uh, I suppose so. Yep. Um, he's more acquainted with the treatment table than the pitch, sadly. And you know, not. I'm sure most of it's not his fault. Uh, I'm sure he looks after himself in an extremely professional way and it's all bad luck and all of that. But uh, it's, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's really that much time for sentimentality in, in football, really. He's he's not fulfilled the promise at all. We can keep, talk about, keep talking about him fulfilling some kind of promise, but he's now been at the club, what, six, seven years? I'm not sure. A, a long, long time, time yeah. A long time, I don't, yeah, think, yeah. I don't think it's seven years, yeah, yeah. but it's a long yeah, time. Uh, we know what the pattern is. I mean, you, you said earlier... Um, just coming back to your previous point about, you know, people will sort of remember that second half. There's an interesting book called uh, Homo Deus, which is by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, an uh, Israeli anthropologist um, who who looks into a load of studies, uh, sidetracking here, looks into a load of studies and says that people remember two things, really, in all sorts of walks of life, peak and end point. Um, so, you know, you'll remember the goals and how the last 10 minutes uh, of a game finished or 15 minutes or whatever and you know it's just human psychology and it's very true right you know uh, and uh, I suppose if you've got the the algorithm to go cut the highlights it it, it would um, look very different than a human doing it yeah absolutely and and th- I, I think about that I think about that when we do the show all the time I, I think about it. it's so easy to uh, to filter out loads of the experience of watching that game in in retrospect but I thought you know in the first half you, you mentioned that Swansea that it was I don't even think it was the first goal that deflated Swansea. I think it was when United uh, went up a gear. That was what deflated Swansea. I think, you know, we've struggled so much this season that it feels a bit odd to be saying this, but there is something about a team with Pogba and Ibrahimovic can't half deflate an opposition, can't half kind of give some of that feeling that, you know, United fans were used to seeing other teams having against us of, oh, we're up against it here, lads. You know, the- true, true. But then to counter that, and it's, it's a very good point. To counter that, I give you two things: Marcus Rojo 
And Wayne I was Rooney. Gonna th- I, th- I was sure you were going to go with Rooney and Fellaini. That's what I thought you were going to go. Oh, and Fellaini. So there, there you go. I, I win three to two. <laughs> no, you don't. No, no, no. Come, I see your Rooney, Fellaini, and Marcus Rojo, and I raise you a David de Gea. <laughs> I, okay. I, um, okay. I'm going to put. I'm going to okay. put a Juan Mata in the middle of the table. How much do I get for a Phil Jones? <laughs> you get like less than a quarter of a Mata for a Phil Jones. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, that game was obviously uh, vitally important because we're a long way off the pace in the league. Like, there's a there's a big point swing to make up. Um, but also uh, because the vibe was seriously neg, man. It was a seriously nego vibo after uh, the very debilitating and miserable trip to Turkey in the middle of the week. I mean, it really was miserable, wasn't it? I mean, that was... I was going to say it was one of the worst away performances in Europe we've had, but we've had a lot of really, really bad away performances in Europe recently. But it was bad. Oh, yeah, it it was bad. And that's now six games, uh, I think, or no, seven games uh, without a win in Europe. Um, When everyone was predicting a win, and I kept kind of coming back to the fact that we just have not put in a performance for uh, over a year away in Europe. And I, I think, I don't think... When we come to preview Zoria in a week or two, whenever it is, uh, I'm going to be predicting that we don't put in a performance again because that was just so evident that we don't care about the Europa League. And and I think a lot of the analysis, Mm. a lot of the analysis of the, the kind of crisis around Man United analysis that followed that game bugged me a little bit because I think... It was coming on the back of a Burnley performance where we were, you know, we played as well as we have really, apart from putting the ball in the net. And then it was the Europa League, a competition in which literally Sergio Romero has literally got a game in this competition. That's how uninterested in it United are fundamentally. Um, So, yeah, I I thought not enough people were going, yeah, but all this is fair enough, but it is the Europa League and literally no one cares. True, true. Very true, but a very strong starting eleven. Yeah, but a strong starting eleven that clearly wasn't motivated to be in that competition, and a strong starting eleven in a way, but with a few kind of pointers that this wasn't was really, really the starting eleven. Like you know, there's no. I, I suspect Herrera might not have played if he was gonna if he was able to play in this game, and Rooney ended up playing up front, um, which you know. Well, that was a pretty good in- indicator that he was uh, that that it wasn't being taken super duper seriously. Yeah, true, and uh, and uh, I guess um, well, it took all of about a minute and change, not very many seconds, to ruin United's confidence and planning, didn't it? Um, with a pretty spectacular goal. Uh, yeah, I mean, lots of credit to Musa so for the athletic. Uh, sort of twist and overhead and the connection. I'm protecting we're going to hear the word shin in a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Only Rooney shins and overhead. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke for all the hate mail comes in. He did shin it though. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, um, some some luck on, on actually getting... In a goal bound, I'd say, but you know, all credit to Fenerbahce because they fully deserved their victory, didn't they? I mean, on top all night. Oh, yeah. and, and I was trying to work out who was the worst United player. You know, it definitely wasn't Rooney in in uh, in Turkey. I mean, there were some bad ones. Blint and Rojo both terrible at the back. Damian and Shaw Shaw was very bad as well. Um, and we'll come on to that. Yeah, he's he's got a problem, Luke Shaw, hasn't he? Uh, none of the midfield players 
could really get any credit out of the game at all. I, Rashford, terrible on the right um, before he got hooked. So, you know, Martial, a few neat runs, a few good runs, you know, may, maybe a hint that he's coming back, but nothing nothing spectacular in his play. I tracked everything that Martial did for an article because that's what I was assigned. That was my brief for that game. And he was by far our best attacking option all the way through that game. Like, it was more than just a few neat runs. There was the through ball for Rooney, yep. which uh, we need to talk about. We, we, we need to talk about because, like, at the end of the half... I was looking at the the numbers for for that article at the end of the first half and I was like looking and why is Martial not credited with a key pass and it's like oh 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 because Rooney couldn't get a shot away <laughs> even though he got the ball like one on one with a keeper in 6 yards of space he just astro first touched it out or back to the defense or something i mean we joke about Rooney's first touch but that was that was a next level dreadful first touch from Rooney Mm, I have nothing to say. <laughs> um, he uh, he scored a very nice goal at the end of that game. He had a lot of space and he used it very well. And I, and I did feel that that was quite significant to the way he played against Swansea, as I think I mentioned earlier. No, it was a great hit. A great hit. And uh, really still got that, hasn't he? He can, he can you know, amid the dross, uh, there are still the moments. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you said either last week or the week before in response to a listener question, yeah, he'll definitely get that record. And that kind of goal is, is why, isn't it? And I guess he's going to get a run in the side now with between injuries and suspensions and form, his own form. Yeah, but does he really deserve one? Should we um should we discuss that at length next week during the international break um for our Arsenal preview? Thought you meant bonus content. We'll do a forty five minute Patreon backer bonus content <laughs> on Rooney. No, no, but literally nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the uh, general level of United's performance. Uh, Pogba was all right until he went off injured, and that was a real worry at that point. And I thought Mourinho made two really big mistakes in that game. Um, Mourinho is coming for a lot of criticism and a lot of like very knee-jerk, aggressive criticism, which I think has been a bit unfounded. Um, but I did think he made two pretty substantial errors. And the first one was starting with Rooney up front, which, you know, it was almost... It was starting with a kind of degree of handicap. Um, it's like, you know, adding a few strokes in a golf game or something. And then I think bringing on Ibrahimovic for Pogba was a very strange decision. Because uh, he he had a lot of kind of he had a lot of options to help make that game more fluid and and instead he kind of went with the very very super static Ibrahimovic and and dumping Rooney back into midfield which uh, doesn't help absolutely either. yeah look um, overall it was just uh, uh, as I said one one of the worst United away performances in Europe but such a pattern now isn't it and not just in Europe under Jose I I just feel. Um, there's just something, just a touch negative sometimes about Jose away from home. You know, is is almost beginning to be predictable. Except, of course, in this one, he actually predicted picked a pretty attacking lineup. But the you know Arsenal coming in a couple of weeks' time, I think we can assume that Fellaini will definitely play in that one um, because he's tended to pick him in the in the big games. So I think we can probably assume that Matter won't play. Um, you know, unless injuries and suspensions get in the way. And and it just feels like there's a side in here waiting to burst out and all our best players, mainly, apart from Big Dave, are attacking players. 
Um, and somehow we're managing to hamstring many of them in each game. You know, I don't know how you feel about that. And that wasn't really the Fenerbahce game, but it feels like it's a bit of a pattern. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think Matter will play against that. Let's, I mean, we've got an international break. We, all we have to talk about next time we do a podcast is the Arsenal game, so let's save it. But I, I think Matter will play on the right again as a, as a false right winger because I tell you who ain't going to play against Arsenal or maybe ever again, and that's Henrik Mkhitaryan, who uh, came on against Fenerbahce and needed to be absolutely perfect, but instead... Um, very nearly gave away a goal-scoring opportunity. Well, he did give away an opportunity, but but Big Dave mm. made the save. Um, and, you know, talk about remembering peaks. Uh, I can't help thinking that that's what will stand out for Mourinho. Not even in the matchday squad, in a kind of uh, injury-hit matchday squad, uh, there was no place for uh, Mkhitaryan. I, I just... Yeah, but how to how to destroy a player? You know, he's I don't know what's happening on the training ground. Um, all these stories about you know him mentally weak and crying and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't know how you can possibly build up a player's confidence if he is a bit mentally weak uh, by criticizing him publicly. Um, when bringing him back into the team after having not played and clearly won't be fit. Um, and then, you know, dumping him at the first opportunity. I mean, it, it's uh, it's Van Hal levels of destroying a player, you know. Van Hal did it to Memphis and now um, Jose's doing it to Mkhitaryan. I mean, Jose's doing the same thing to Memphis, I suppose, but no one had the expectation that he'd be getting much game time. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's devastating because you've got £30 million a player in Memphis and £35 million a player in Mkhitaryan who are who are getting almost no football at all and their value is nothing. Yeah, I mean, of course, you, it's it's Van Gaal-esque, you say, but it's also Mourinho-esque because his career is littered with players that have received this treatment because you're in the boat or you're out of the boat. And that's it, you know, the, the, it comes at a cost. Mourinho's methods come at a cost and I, I, hopefully, hopefully something will change because... Mkhitaryan is such a, a fantastic player when he's on form and it would be amazing to see him at United doing well. But uh, my underlying assumption at the moment, my working assumption is that it's just not going to happen. We, we're in a, we are, we've, it's gone full Kagawa. There's no turning back from this. I don't, I don't see, it, it, it's possible, but unless, unless he and Mourinho have a real meeting of the minds, uh, it's, uh, it seems unlikely. Well, uh, there was a story out earlier in the week that Mourinho has eight players on his hit list. I don't think was McTarian on that one. I can't remember that. No, but that, that hit list was... Uh, th- there's always these stories. Like the Van Gaal one was proved completely wide of the mark. And, and I feel like... Very were... true, yeah. And, and a few people were pretty annoyed with that list, mainly because it didn't include Rooney or Fellaini. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's also been this absolutely... In fact, we had a listener question about it, which I'll dig out later to give a a shout-out, but there's been this article that went properly viral that's just a roundup of gossip, basically, uh, kind of claiming to be really well-sourced. And I was reading it, and it just... uh, It's on something called the United Pages, I think, um, which I don't believe I've really heard of before. And it just read, like, a collection of... Uh, absolute nonsense rumours stitched together in a way that sounded like kind of trying to build a convincing narrative. But I think already there's plenty of evidence that that, that was pretty much nonsense. Um, and, and that was that re- regurgitated that kind of Mkhitaryan crying in the dressing room rumour. And I just think we don't know what's happened. But what we do know for sure is that Mkhitaryan is not in the boat. 
Um, and, and I guess talking of Mourinho and, and his management of players, a lot of people seemed a bit upset by some of his comments after the Swansea game. Uh, did you did you see what he said? Actually, I didn't. I had to jump in a car. Um, what did he say? So he was um, he he was asked by the interviewer. Basically, said uh, you've said Jose that the the players are here today are the ones that want to be here today, and you know that's obviously excluding Shaw and excluding Mkhitaryan. And he said, Mourinho said, no, that's a that's a little bit strong to say that they want to be here, but you know. What I believe is that in all sport, there is an extent to which sometimes you have to sacrifice some aspects of the body for the sake of the team, for the sake of elite level achievement, not just in football, but in every sport. And I think there are some players where there are some cultural issues, not just with the player, but with the people around him, um, where, you know, everything has to be 100% perfect before before they'll play. Um, and... A lot of people are like, oh, you can't believe he's talking about Luke Shaw. Maybe he wasn't. We don't know he was talking about Luke Shaw. But Luke Shaw, Mkhitaryan, like, especially for Shaw, having come back from that big long-term injury, maybe a bit more sensitivity was required. But but what I really thought about that is there's been lots of talk about Mourinho losing it and Mourinho not having his kind of special Mourinho-ness anymore. But to me, that is this is absolutely part of the deal that you... You're going to get siege mentality. You're going to get a core group of players who are with the manager and will run through walls for him. And therefore, you're going to get success. That's how he does it. Well, it is how he does it. I wouldn't say we've got that yet. Oh, no, right? definitely so, not. So, so I, w- I wouldn't conflate that he's he's managed to do that because they didn't run through any walls. They wouldn't have run through an invisible wall in Fenerbahce. They just couldn't give a toss. Um, but what he did do in the post-match comments... Um, is uh, reading them. He's contrasted Smalling and Shaw with Daily Blint. He said, you know, Smalling said he wasn't one hundred percent fit. Shaw said he he didn't feel in condition to play. Daily Blint isn't fit, but he wanted to put himself on the bench. Um, and you know, and, and that's the kind of thing that I guess some managers that we've had in the recent past, you know, well, definitely Fergie wouldn't have done. Right? They it's unlikely that they would have called out specific players and questioned their mentality. I mean, and Mourinho did this after Fenerbahce very strongly. You know, he talked about their their lacking lack of preparation, their lack of conditioning, their lack of uh, mental preparation for the game, uh, and called out their sort of mental weaknesses. So. Maybe it'll work. Maybe he'll get that core group of 15, 20 players that will run through walls for him. Or maybe it'll go totally pear-shaped. And this is what everyone's worried about in the way it did at Chelsea. And then that kind of thing that Mourinho does looks a bit like he's losing it. Um, and and in the case of Chelsea, losing the entire dressing room. And we're not there, clearly. Uh, but that's the worry. And, and the, here are the kind of couple of counters to that. I think that's very. those are very reasonable worries. Um the couple of counters are, one, there have been a few games this season where we've looked a lot better in the second half after flat first half performances. And that always, I always find that a bit heartening as kind of how the squad is viewing the manager at the moment. You know, there's there's there's, there's a bit of hope if the manager can kind of get them going in the second half. Um, and the, the other one is, I, I don't think I would ex- be expecting it to work yet. Because this is this is about the process. This is about the filtration process where you're kind of you're building the team basically at this point, and then you start kind of really solidifying that loyalty when you've got that group that you're working with who are you know really 
your players and you can see it and feel it and that, that relationship's built. I, I was going back and um, because today we're recording this on the 6th, which is the 30th anniversary of Fergie taking over. And I went back for a, for a Bleach Report article um, and read all the stuff he said about his first season. And he hardly talks about the football at all in his first season. All he really talks about is taking on the drinking culture. And of course, United's cultural issues are very different now. And Mourinho's taking over, you know, he's got huge money to spend and there's the, the structures are in place and all that. So it doesn't have to make that kind of root and branch change. So you would expect results quicker. But I do think short-termism has reached a ridiculous level, you know, and, and we should be allowing him to dig in, do his thing and see how it goes for quite a long time before we start kind of even really judging how well it's going because of how deep the kind of rot of mentality has set in the last three years. There is a major cultural shift needed in the club. That may be true. Uh, The question about how long that takes is an important one because we've shifted culturally quite a few times in recent seasons, right? We shifted to the David Moyes culture of of fear and loathing, self-loathing in his case, uh, to, to Van Gaal's philosophy, which became more and more ingrained over the two years and now undoing that philosophy, which Mourinho, uh, uh, Mourinho has talked about as well um, and you know, said specifically it's going to take him some time to undo what Van Gaal instilled. Um, and, and But it's a big... Question, because how long can it take? Because right now, United are seven points off the top and um, you know the, the inconsistency is such that you can't guarantee that United are going to make inroads into that at all or won't fall further behind on the top four. So, you know, a, a, the models will show that United at this stage right now won't make the top four. Um, so you, you, you kind of got to say, well... Would the club still stick with Mourinho if United didn't make the top four? They haven't done with Moyes or Van Gaal. And therefore, you know, what has changed this time? Are they now saying, well, well, those decisions were wrong in the past um, and we'll give Mourinho his three-year contract because we believe in the process or whatever? You know, and it's, it's a long way from that, of course. But definitely no guarantee that United will make the top four this season, given the inconsistency and given the the levels that City, Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs and Liverpool are at. No, I mean, and, and the, there are models, like in terms of points per game and stuff, that are pretty bad, but the, you know, United's underlying numbers are good, aren't they? They're, they're, XG likes Man United, as they say at the moment, you know. Um, we we are a few points off where we should be. I mean, we're at least four points off where we should be. You don't need any stats to tell you that the Stoke and Burnley games, that's four points that... that you know, the the manager did not cost us those four points, and uh, nor did kind of the collective culture of the club or whatever. Um, and and yeah, the, the the question of how long we give him is is I don't know that the you're right in saying that United didn't stick with either Moyes or Van Gaal after they didn't qualify for the Champions League. But I I mean maybe that was just because they didn't qualify for the Champions League. But really, that feels like it was actually about two different things. And one, the, the Moyes thing was about a recognition of the complete catastrophe of the appointment. And the Van Gaal thing was about the fact that Mourinho was free now. Um, I wonder whether if Mourinho hadn't been free, Van Gaal would have got another season. Um, I don't think that's impossible by any means. Um, so, yeah. Oh, by the way, talking to Moyes, he's been piping up again. 
he's been at it again, hasn't he? He's been. He's talking about his reign, yeah. <laughs> which was which was his reign at Manchester United you know, was interesting. Yeah, I thought kings and queens had reigns. Of course, in some countries, country of your uh, your motherland, they used to chop the heads off kings and queens <laughs> to end their reign. It seemed appropriate. And um, with Moisey said, uh, perhaps the Mourinho and Van Gaal struggles have put my reign into context. And I kind of think perhaps your performances at Sociedad and Sunderland have put the decision to appoint you as manager of Manchester United into some context, David. But, you know, let's... Uh, that was literally through gritted teeth, that was. Uh, he's, I think he might be my least favourite person in football. I think he might be number one. Maybe that. Maybe that's vastly unfair. Anyway, this has been a lot of... Un, you know, we were talking about that Fenerbahce game. Swansea game is a big positive... We, we don't know where the direction of the great big Mourinho project yet, um, but there's cause there's cause for either hope or despair if you look uh, close enough. Um, and, and I think really the only conclusion we can draw is we don't know. But what I think is a very good antidote for all this is some straight up Man United 90s nostalgia. Are you up, are you up for some of that, Ed? Sure. So um, I was absolutely delighted this week to have a conversation with Sam Pilger uh, about who worked at United in uh, in the nineties and then uh, left to work for Four Four Two magazine um, and <clears throat> since then uh, has left and gone freelance and he writes for Four Four Two. He writes a weekly column in Bleach Report, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is a fantastic conversation which we talked about him hanging out with David Beckham, making him a sandwich and all that sort of thing. So have a listen. I'm absolutely delighted that you could join us today, Sam. Um, so I wonder if you could uh, start with uh, what it was like to work at United in the 90s. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic, really. It was my first proper job. Started in 1996. Uh, I'd finished university the year earlier. Um, I'd done some good old-fashioned work experience at the Manchester United magazine. Um, and then in the, and then I was my sort of break, if you like, I was, I was, I was traveling in America with my girlfriend, now wife, and, and, and noticed that the New England Revolution were being, uh, managed by one Frank Stapleton. So I put in a call to the United magazine, said, would you like an interview with him? Um, they said yes. And, and I interviewed him in, in Boston. Um, and uh, about, you know, the 80s being United legend. And, and when I got back, I, I, I got a job offer uh, to work for the United magazine. I was staff writer there and then deputy editor for three and a half years. And um, there's people probably listening to this that weren't, weren't born then, but it was a, a very different media landscape with no Twitter, no Facebook, uh, no, um, no real, there was no manunited.com. Man there was no real United website. Um, and so the power of the club magazine was enormous. No MUTV. Um, so the club magazine was, when I started working for it, was the biggest selling football magazine and the biggest, the fourth biggest selling men's magazine, sort of behind FHM and Loaded. Uh, so, um, it was, it was basically the magazine and the program and the program was a bit more 
corporate and and uh whereas you know we tried on the magazine to be a bit more <laughs> hesitate to use the word edgy but, but <laughs> edgy might be strong yeah well fun, no, I mean, maybe yeah yeah a bit more, bit more fun that sometimes got us into trouble with the club um and you know um i remember during the sky when sky were um it was a different time. It just wouldn't happen now. As when Sky were looking to take over United, uh, we we sort of you know, and ninety six percent of the fan base were against it. We thought, well, we're the voice of the club, but also the voice of the fans. How do you balance it? And so we, um, so we, we sort of got into some problems there. And I remember doing it. Yeah, we did an interview with Martin Edwards where he sort of floated the idea that Ferguson wouldn't be kept on as a sort of ambassador and so on, and, and that got us into trouble and so on. So we, 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 we tried to, to, um, to, to, to balance it, have something, you know, that wasn't just a, a corporate newsletter. How did you handle the Sky thing then? What did you, what did you, what were the decisions made? Because that's fascinating that you would have said something about it rather than gone with the party line. That's right. Well, no, it was almost to give others a platform, you know, as, as the magazine itself, we were part of the club and we might soon be owned by Sky too, but, but, but it was to give a platform to others, to, to the fanzines, to, to have different voices really. And that's what we tried to do throughout. Uh, we had a column, we had a column with Paul Hayward, obviously now the Telegraph about other football matters and he could talk about it there. We also had a, a column that didn't go down so well. But it was quite funny called Outside Old Trafford because the opening page was called Inside Old Trafford. We had a column called Outside Old Trafford with a guy called Ivan Badil, who was David Badil's brother and a Chelsea fan. It just sort of just wound up. United fans really and sort of gave up their different perspective but it was, at least there was debate at least it was a bit different again pr probably wouldn't happen now uh, so what was the biggest trouble you ever got in with the club when you were at the magazine oh, the thing is that it was it's the, the, that dreadful word copy approval the club actually didn't read the magazine prior to publication for the vast majority of the time I was there it changed just after I left and so the biggest trouble, um, I think it was, you know, things like, God, this, this dates it, but, but players just not being happy, you know, God knows, Jordi Cruyff or somebody and just saying that or, or, or um, you know, just speaking honestly, you know, it's funny. I mean, this is the late 90s. This, I was there 96, 97, 98, 99, big years. Um, and yet it, 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 we did have a huge degree of freedom now. Obviously, uh, inside United, as it's called now, you know, I'm sure they're more in step with the club, but also the, the club would uh, would read it and filter out anything that they, they, they didn't want. So that's an incredible time, as you mentioned, to be working at Old Trafford. So what was what was your access like at that time? What, what could you do to get access to the players and the staff and things? Well, it was incredible. It was it, it was a great time because essentially you would just the whole time I was there I was at the cliff which I'm so grateful for because I, I left in January 2000 and literally I, they went to Carrington that that week um, you know obviously I've been to Carrington since but in terms of my time and I'm so grateful for it, it was at the cliff which was just so full of character and um, it, it sort of symbolized the time where you had the you know multi-millionaires huge big Footballers, you know, you can't get much bigger than Eric Cantona and David Beckham, but there they were in a, um, 
in, 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 in an area of Manchester side by side with the fans. And there was a greater access for everybody. I'm sure United fans remember queuing up for autographs during summer holidays and so on. But in terms of the, 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 the press, um, and you know, we were, we were, club press but we were you know we weren't seen as part of the club but we, we we could just we just sat in the waiting room and approached people um as they as they left so if we wanted to interview Roy Keane in the next week's magazine we'd just wait there and, and approach Roy as he went to his club uh, went to his car sorry or or um uh, simple as that, really. So the access was fantastic because the demands were not so much. As I said, no MUTV, no social media, club makers, the club programme strangely didn't really do many interviews. So, you know, there was the football press was stronger then. You know, there was 442 and total football and goal and so on, but 90 minutes. But, but um, in terms of us, we just had a free run at it. So if we wanted... You know, David, we got David Beckham's first big interview after the 1998 World Cup, Roy Keane, just anybody, really. It was wonderful. It was like, well, who, who should we interview next month? And we just approached them. I can't remember them really saying no. Um, you know, so, so I started in uh, August 1996. Um, so, you know, anybody who was at the club during that three and a half years, I, I got to know pretty well as players and interviewed several times. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Um, so who were some of your favourite people to interview? Um, I really enjoyed interviewing uh, Andy Cole. Um, wow. That, I, honestly, if you'd given me 20 <laughs> guesses, I'm not sure I would have guessed Andy Cole having seen him interviewed a few times. Well, this is it. I mean, you know, it, it was. It, I was always a huge fan of Andy Cole's on the on the pitch. I felt he became a whipping boy just for, for becoming an easy target. He came in, he scored, I still remember the, the, the stats, he scored 12 goals in 16 games and was blamed for United not winning the league in, in 95. And, I, you know, those were saves by Ludovic Mikloshko, not, uh, not misses. Um, and so I was always, he did have a difficult time in 95, 96 season, but then it came good and there was certainly a happy ending. So I was always a fan of him on the pitch because he, he never stopped fighting and he was under huge amount of pressure. And I was lucky enough to interview him. Uh, first time was... February 97 and I expected unfortunately not less so now he's a club ambassador but at the time he gave he did have this sort of you know surly um uh, character you know uh, sorry image if you like whereas I found him an absolute joy and, and and the difference with interviews was I've done hundreds of interviews you know when you turn off the tape recorder you know people jump up from their seat great and chew out the door, a lot of them. He would stay, have a cup of tea, chat. He was very friendly. He was very funny. He wasn't at all like his image uh, at the time. And I felt like his agent, which at the time was Paul Stretford, who was obviously Rooney, said probably done him a disservice. Sorry, Paul. But, but he, he, he had this very surly, difficult image. But I found him absolutely lovely. And I, I really enjoyed um, interviewing him. He was friendly and funny and laid back. Not at all. Like The difference was, and, and this is all about perception, when Dwight York joined, it was all about, you know, that trademark smile and, oh, he's happy-go-lucky. He's from the Caribbean. He's very laid back. I found him to be the opposite. I found him to be quite difficult that 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 big smile was a bit of an act, really, um, in my experience. And he wasn't nearly as sort of friendly as laid back as he liked to let on. So I hugely, you know, enjoyed interviewing Andy. 
Um, uh, Roy Keane, of course, that goes without saying. Uh, Peter Schmeichel, just because they're real, you know, football people and had opinions and, and didn't dodge a question. Um, I wrote a book at the time with Gary and Phil Neville called uh, For Club and Country, which was the, the, the diary of the 97-98 season. So I got to both know them both well and get to know their personalities. And, I, you know, I can see the career Gary has forged for himself post-football, you know, um, having, you know, interviewed him two or three times a week, producing the book. Um, David Beckham was good. David Beckham was not so, you know, he was just... He was just at the, the start. I interviewed him in the autumn of 96 and then 98, 99. So, you know, around the treble year. And there were different times, you know. I'd, I'd meet him at the cliff, um, jump in his car, he'd take me home, and we'd do the interview in his living room. He'd off, you know, he'd make me lunch and then drop me at Piccadilly Station. You know, it was, it, it was uh, different times. You know, you're lucky if you get sort of five, ten minutes in a hotel room. Um, now a, a sort of a, a junket. So, um yeah, they were, um, um, you know, I suppose that's early 90s. A bit later, I enjoyed interviewing. I did the first ever interview with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, that was nice. He just scored two goals on his European debut, and we, we took him to Armani in Manchester the next day, and um, he was very sort of uncomfortable but sort of enjoying it and kitted him out for a photo shoot. He, he was... Uh, he was lovely, yeah. Um, three years later, obviously, scored the, the winning goal. And, um, yeah, I just then he's um, – um, Paul Scholes was, was – it's funny, as you'd imagine. He, he was didn't ever really like doing interviews. Nicky Butt was all right. Um, you know, I was I, l- lucky enough to, to do them all, really. I'm just scanning through my head thinking of that. I mean, later on, I suppose the treble season, Yap Stan was wonderful. Um, uh, I sort of forged a good friendship with him and, and, and uh, he came on board to the magazine and did a column because he was Dutch and he was honest and he just told it was like it was and it, it was great really um, and then and then the Daily Telegraph picked up the column and I then wrote the column with him fortnightly for the Daily Telegraph but 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 yeah it was was great he was he was just so honest and Dutch and upfront so um so yeah, it was good times. Uh, there's a few things I need to feedback. One, <laughs> I'm glad that you said Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was nice. Otherwise, this whole interview just would never have gone out because I wouldn't <laughs> have wanted to break the illusion because it's such a beautiful one. Um, but the other thing is, like, was David Beckham a good cook? This feels like an important question at this juncture. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? It, no, there was no heat involved in the lunch. It was, it was sort of. He just produced something from his. He he produced something from. Uh, I think he also made me a sandwich or something. And the very strange moment where he handed me a can of Pepsi, and his wife, no girlfriend at the time, was on the side <laughs> of the can of Pepsi. You know, and I kind of said, "Don't mention that," or so on, or you know. So um, yeah, that, no, that it was. He wasn't a hugely good cook, yeah. And he and he just got some puppies, um, and they were called Snoop and Puff. After Snoop Doggy Dog and Puff Daddy, so yeah, I don't know. God, they probably wouldn't even be alive now, would they? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> sorry, sorry, I was thinking of that. Thinking, oh, they're proper dogs now. But yeah, that was 20, 20, 19 years ago. So he just got some puppies, and um, yeah, he was very nice. He's very nice. I, as I said, yeah, yeah, I said, oh, at the end of the yeah, I was at his house for about two, three hours. Gary Neville came over, and yeah, it was uh, um, yeah, as I say, different, different times, different times. Um, what was? Did you ever have any dealings with Fergie? 
Yes, I did. I did. Um, not hugely. You know, I was in my sort of early to mid-20s at the time. And um, when we would do Ferguson, we would get guys like Oliver Hull and Paul Hayward to interview him for us. We, we, we did that a bit. I, you know, use big Fleet Street names. For other players as well, I, I, I would. I don't think they do that now. I haven't done for a long time. But it was too much of a treat not to. Um, and so I interviewed him. I, you know, I got to know him and, and did a few things for him. But in terms of a sit-down interview, um, I do remember actually. Sometimes we'd go. Sometimes one of the pleasures was going to the clip and handing out the new issue of the magazine. Um, and you would just hope that I remember one a terrifying moment. I sat on a bench with a pile of magazines and Sir Alex sat next to me and said good morning and started leafing through it. And I just thought, oh, God, I hope there's nothing in it. You know, he's going to turn on me, give me the hair try. There are a few terrifying moments like that. But I sat down with him and um, I laugh about it now. But it was it was. Um, it, 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 you know, I realized how, how incredibly lucky I was to have half an hour, me and him in his office together. Um, it was this, it was the summer of 1999. Um, I didn't think I could design a better time to interview him. Clearly United had just won the Champions League, the FA Cup, the uh, Premier League, and he'd just been knighted about a week before. So I had to actually, after I call him Alex, so I call him Sir Alex. It was at the cliff, um, Players hadn't come back yet for pre-season training. They were back, due back in a week. It was a sunny day. I just thought I could not be interviewing this man at any better time. And, you know, he just won the European Cup, his lifetime's ambition. But during the interview, um, he was good and I enjoyed it, but he wasn't as laid back and as happy-go-lucky as I'd hoped. And he, I then realized about an hour afterwards because he went from my interview to the press conference at Old Trafford to announce that United were withdrawing from the following season's FA Cup to play in a World Club Championship in Brazil, a decision he was not happy with and felt very uncomfortable with. So that was clearly playing on his mind. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was very uh, – I greatly enjoyed it. You know, what would I have been at the time? About 26 you know, he was in his sixties. You know, he is, but, but he, 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 he was uh, he was very good. What struck you about him from seeing him up close? Because I, I, I think this is, I think uh, the more time passes since he retires, the more I mean, everyone knew he was special at the time, but the more abundantly obvious it becomes just how extraordinary it was. What what struck you about him? Not necessarily just from that interview, but just being around the cliff and that sort of I, thing. I think, I think from that interview, I think that was, I think that's a good example. I mean, as I said, he'd won the treble, never done by a major European nation before or a British uh, uh, club. Um, won the European club, which just hung over him clearly. He would never, no matter what he did at Aberdeen, no matter what he did at United, it would just be used as a stick with beating with him. He didn't win the Champions League. Clearly, he won two in the end. But that was a huge weight off his shoulders. And yet, and yet, he had no time to reflect or interest. You know, it was about the days. Um, uh, it was about the next season, the next challenge. It was about, you know, that afternoon, the politics of, of withdrawing from the FA Cup. There was no, you know, I wanted to reflect and wow and what a time and brilliant and no, not interested. He was, he was on to the next thing, that relentlessness that, that, you know, I mean, I remember growing up and thinking, wow, Sir Matt Busby won 
five league titles, five league titles. Wow, that, you know, five. He won 13, 13. You know, it, it's, it's barely believable. And I hate when people say, oh, it will never be matched. It will never be matched because, you know, I mean, how can anyone predict the future? And I find that a bit tiresome. You know, no one would have thought a Manchester United player would win 13 titles when, you know, Alan Hansen said had eight or 10 or whatever it was, eight, I think, or oh, that will never be matched. But so I you know, hesitate to say that, but 13 league titles um, uh, were, were, was incredible. So it was just that relentlessness, that, that, that ability not to reflect, but to build the team too with the characters that would do that. And, I, and, and you know, the, the people like Roy Keane, who would absolutely be the epitome of him on the pitch, and Peter Schmeichel, people that just were not happy um, with uh, with just just winning, they had to win again and again, and it's a cliche. But you know, as United have experienced recently, that relentlessness, that absolute desire, um, is very difficult to repeat. So it was, you know, I, I was there three and a half years, and to have a sort of front row seat to to interview him and and to 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 what was was uh, was very special. But yeah, I think it was just his relentlessness. And- so you you mentioned that you ended up ghostwriting Yapstam's column. Uh, you interviewed him for the latest issue of Four Four Two down in Reading. What do you make of him as a manager? He, he definitely seems a very reflective and thoughtful character. Well, I think it's the way he's done it that's really interesting because he reti- he's taken nine years from retiring to taking a manager's job, and in that time. Um, he has, I mean, it's quite funny. He said he retired and he was offered a place in the big brother house in, in, in Holland. Um, and, and, you know, this sort of thing, but so, so, I mean, if you look at the career he's had, you know, Manchester United, what PSV Eindhoven, Manchester United, Lazio, AC Milan, Ajax, uh, Gus Hiddink, Sir Alex Ferguson, Carlo Ancelotti, um, the, the managers he's played under, you know, he, and, and, and the things he had won, you think he, he could clearly have walked into a job within this thing, but it, but it, it, it was very much the Dutch way of, of doing his apprenticeship. And he spent nine years um, doing that, you know, he, he, looking after the Ajax reserve team. He was assistant manager, managed Daily Blind uh, for a year when they won the title, 13-14, uh, Frank Dubur. So he really has taken his apprenticeship to learn the game properly. Um, and then he, 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 you know, didn't want to stay comfortable and cozy at Holland. He's, he's come to Reading and he's doing well. He started well. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's possession football, um, but possession football to, to, to create chances, not just for the sake of it. Um, like another Dutchman we remember well. Um, and, 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 you know, create goals and attack. I mean, Reading, Finished about 19th last year, I think, and they're up near the playoffs now. So it, it, he's he's he started well. He's certainly got the background and the the caliber. So yeah, I, I asked him the obvious question about an Old Trafford return, and he, he's ambitious. He wants to, to 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 manage at the very highest level. So um, you know, it's great to see him again. He's a lovely guy. But again, he he, he again Ferguson chose well. That was why Ferguson was a great manager. He found the characters, of course. You know, people know good footballers, but they have to find the characters. And 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 um, Stam had that as a player was utterly relentless. And again, you know, I know people. You know, I, I, I sometimes 
trigger on Twitter, the debate. But I, I genuinely can't remember a better player defender. Never mind for United in the Premier League. I think in his three years at United, I think I remember him getting beaten about three times, you know, like for, for pace or getting turned or, 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 you know, he'd have this incredible thing where he'd, 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 he'd run alongside the, the, the um, uh, forward because he was so tall and fast, open his long legs and he was quick, but he didn't dive in or clear the ball or, 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 or a sliding tackle. He'd actually draw level, nick the ball off them, and then pass it out. He, he was he was he was incredible. So you know, if you can take that into management, um, he, he'll do well. It's interesting. I just was thinking about Ryan Giggs and the comparison between the sort of I don't know how fair it is, but the general the general received wisdom about Ryan Giggs, which is that he wants a shot at a big job straight away, um, versus kind of going and really learning the trade. Uh, it's a, it's a very different approach, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, I suppose Ryan um, was was Moyes' assistant for a year, wasn't he, while he was still playing, and then for two years with Van Gaal after he'd retired. And so, you know, that felt right to keep him within the family. It would have been wrong for him to leave, but but maybe it would have been better if he hadn't left. Um, You know, I I think looking back, you know, if he was ever going to get the United job, I know it goes against having an apprenticeship, but it would have been immediately rather than, you know, when he got a sort of tarred with the, with the Van Gaal uh, regime. But yeah, I mean, it's a British, um, you know, if if you look in, in Holland, you know, to, to, you know, Mark Overmars, Dennis Bergkamp, Yap Stam, they, they, they don't just grab the first job or a big job. They, they do, you know, they, they learn their trade. And that's not to say Ryan hasn't. Of course, he's done his badges and he's learned a lot as an assistant manager. So, um, but it would be a risk, you know, I mean, it's strange that, um, you know, Swansea, you know, the, the, the Welsh homecoming and everything like that went for Bob Bradley, of course, hugely experienced manager. But, you know, if, if Ryan's not landing those jobs, um, but it's difficult because, of course, you know, inevitably, as a United player, you want to get back to Old Trafford. That's the job you want. That's the job he wanted. And that's the job he frankly thought he was going to get, um, especially after Van Gaal. But, you know, how many times have we seen it? Brian Robson, Steve Bruce. Mark Hughes, Roy Keane. Um, it doesn't. The fairy tale doesn't really happen, and he comes back. So he'll get his chance uh, soon, I hope. And 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 uh, you know, obviously, he's doing the punditry now, and and that is a loss. And I know Gary Neville sort of doesn't like it being um, mentioned, but it is a shame that so many you know talented players. Um, um, just just take the punditry, you know, Rio Ferdinand and, and Gary. I know, obviously, at Valencia in England, he has had a bit of a go at it. Um, and Ryan's now doing it. And and Roy Keane falls into it, too. Uh, they they, they are, are a loss to the game. But, um, you know, I, 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 you can understand why a team like Swansea wanted experience. Yeah, absolutely. And talking of wanting experience, United went with Jose Mourinho. And I think we'll we'll finish with this question because it's the one that everyone's wondering about. What are you? What do you make of United at the moment? Um, it, it, it's it, it's not the start we expected, really. I, I thought it would be. I thought it would be better. I think the thing that alarms me um, is that Mourinho knew he had this job January, February. Um, he um, 
you know, I had a very good authority that knew he had it early, and, and, and that was proven, and, and he got it. And, of course, there was the, the story about him sending the dossier to United and all the homework he'd done. Um, so he had a good run-up at it. I mean, that was the problem with Moyes. He was at Everton and came late. Van Gaal was with Holland at the World Cup and came late. But Mourinho was out of, out of work and had a huge run-up at it to pick the players. Of course, he wanted four players. He got those four players. And he had a long time to plan. So I think with that run-up, United fans can be naturally disappointed and surprised, really, at how... the. the not the results because that happens, you know, the, the, the Burnley result, it just, it felt a bit like Stoke, but it was worse, but they happen. They happen where the ball does not go in. The keeper has an amazing game. And, you know, I, again, I think the things about Ibrahimovic is, is overdone because, you know, he was inches away from, I mean, what goalkeeper is going to save that scissor kick? I mean, honestly, but it, it, it and otherwise it go, there'd be these great steel shots of that scissor kick as connection. And we'd all be going, wow, you know, you know, back post scissor kick. Fantastic. So it is, it is tight, but you know, I think the thing is, it's not having an identity. It's not having that awful word, a brand of football that he's imposing on United. We can see that with Klopp at Liverpool. We can see that very quickly. I mean, he had a bigger run-up, obviously. Started last October, but, but, but Guardiola at City. We can see that. We're still scratching our heads to go, well, what's the plan? And, you know, um, we could see at Liverpool. That was old-school Mourinho. And again... It would have worked perfectly if Ibrahimovic, now that was a miss, that was a miss, the, the, the header. Um, you know, if he'd put that in, United probably would have held it. It'd be a famous one new win. So it has, he has been not unlucky, but things have, you know, marginally gone against him. You know, he easily could have won four to six more points and things would be looking differently. But I think in terms of the plan, you know, Paul Pogba bringing him in and playing him initially in a midfield two, um, clearly not rating Wayne Rooney, but starting him, it feels like, yeah, you know, I mean, the Rooney issue, you could say, well, you know, he gave him enough rope to hang himself and he wasn't impressive and now he's dropped him and no one's that. But I don't think there would have been an outcry if he'd dropped Rooney in August for the charity shields or for the first games. And this is Mourinho. He had... You know, United were on the floor again. He had that leverage. He had that power base. So I don't know if he thought Rooney would be better or he was giving him the rope, as I said. And, and, and um, But that's been a bit of a waste. That's played somebody that's clearly in decline, clearly not good enough. And, and you know, it's cost us a few points by, by playing Rooney. But Pogba is the concern because it seems to have been corrected now. But um, bringing him and playing in the midfield too, um, you know, that's not where he succeeded with Juventus. That's not why United bought him. And Mourinho, I'm sure, must have been watching Euro, the European Championships. With Deschamps played him in midfield too, and he was he was neutered. He was he wasn't the play, you know he was meant to be the poster boy of the tournament, but he was played out of position in too far back in a defensive, more of a defensive role. And then Mourinho spends 90 million pounds. And, and um, plays him in that position again. And that was thinking, hang on, you've just bought someone for ni invested £90 million. Surely you've got a plan of what to do with him. But he's, he's played him at number 10, he's played him at midfield three, he's played him at midfield two. That's a concern. So it, that, that, that's, you know, my concern is that he hasn't had an identity that he's tried to um, imprint on the club 
immediately and he's still and Mkhitaryan and you know I know you're a fan I, I'm a huge fan it's hugely exciting and yet I'm not party to what's going on there but that's very strange I mean this isn't somebody this is you know the Bundesliga's best player some a hugely talented you, a kind of a finished product really and he's, he's you know and you know the rumours are or what he's not sure about what do you mean he's not sure about him you know he, he bought him and, the, and surely the way about being not sure about him is playing him he hasn't been played he, you know he played you know when he came back from Armenia with an injury against City and that wasn't a game to be thrown into and so you know, we could go on and on, but there, there are reasons for concern. But, 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 you know, this this is still a man who won the Premier League last calendar year, 2015, not last season, obviously. But you know, 18 months ago, he was lifting the Premier League trophy. So, the yesterday man uh, label stuck with Van Gaal, obviously. But, but this is somebody who who won the Premier League title last year. So. Um, I, I hope I hope for better, um, but um, you know, and I, I, I think there will be better. I think. Um, uh, sorry for this very long answer, but I'm, uh, words are what make up a, a podcast. But <laughs> that's a long answer again. Yes, um, but I mean the defence as well. I mean, you know, if you want, you know, it, I can say all things going to be rosy, and I, I think it probably, I think it probably will succeed. But the defence again, uh, you know, I mean that what. He was somebody whose who's, who's, who's success had been based on really wily defenders, you know, Pepe, Sergio Ramos, John Terry, um, Carvalho, and, and, you know, Bay is a fantastic signing. But um, I felt we needed more in the centre of defence. And I was surprised that um, he wasn't, he, he didn't buy a bigger central defender. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Daily Blind. I really am. I, I think he always does well. Uh, I think he's an essential part of this, this team, this squad, be it at left back or, or even at centre half. Uh, even at midfield, he hasn't played him for a while. But I do think United were another central defender short. And it's kind of been proven in a way so far. So, um, yeah, lots to ponder. Brilliant. Well, Sam, thank you very much for your time. You can find Sam on Twitter and uh, follow along. Um, I, I, you write very interesting things on Bleacher Report, which is obviously like that's uh, that's something that I'm I plug every week on the show. But uh, uh, glad to you, Paul. Of course, glad <laughs> to you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Sam. Cheers. Massive, massive, massive thanks to Sam for sparing so much time for us. Uh, I, I really loved talking to him and I, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Um, that section of the show was brought to you by the good people who have backed the show um, at patreon.com slash rantcast. We have opted for a crowdfunding model rather than ad supported model because uh, we like the idea of that a lot better. And uh, one of the things that we're able to do because of that, uh, the Patreon existing, is take the time to do guest interviews and stuff during the week. So there'll be more of those coming throughout the season. Uh, let us know on Twitter if you enjoyed that one. So, Ed, um, talking of the listeners, shall we, uh, we take some Twitter questions before we, before we call it? Well, <laughs> if we must. <laughs> Any from Duncan? Oh... Oh, Ed, are you sad? People are being super mean. Uh, no. Okay. Well, as as I said to said said person, you know, here lieth my field of. F-
and it was empty. Uh, Shrikanth underscore Nima asking whether we think that maybe it was a bit harsh on Luke Shaw to uh, to target him in that way. We don't know that it was Luke Shaw directly, do we? I mean, if it was, then I guess it could be considered to be harsh, but I think it's, it's Mourinho, isn't it? You're in the boat, boat or you're out of the boat. Um, all right, here's one for you, Ed. At Borkarabijit says, did Rooney actually have a decent game today? Asked and answered, I think. Yeah, he was all right. There we go. Okay. Um, at Gary underscore 1105 says, oh, this is in relation to something you said today, actually, Ed. Uh, Does today's win with that lineup further complicate things for Mourinho when trying to find our best 11? Well, I don't think he knows his best 11. and I'm not really sure he knows exactly how he wants the team to play. And, 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 and maybe that's understandable. Maybe that's understandable, and uh, that was uh, one of the things that seemed to offend a few people this week when I pointed that out. Um, uh, fair enough, he doesn't understand what his team is or how he wants to play or exactly what he's going to do from week to week, but there's some inconsistency. Uh, Gary Neville tweeted before the game, uh, why is anyone surprised about the team lineup? Uh, all the players who are not in the team played Yeah, Tom can beat that because Gary Neville literally put... He, like, Gary Neville self-beeped on his... On his uh tweet i think there's some justification for that i mean i wouldn't say everyone that wasn't playing today has played terribly i think rashford definitely needed a break um i think uh martial i think is a bit unlucky I, um that one that one worries me a bit uh that's one where it feels like my personal prejudices are slightly affecting my judgment because I, I so desperately want him to uh, to do well that i'll i'll be more annoyed if Mourinho ends up alienating martial than almost anyone else in the squad did Rooney play well today? Asks at Andy United because he's fighting for his place and has not has and has been dropped, or because there was no pressure on him. I think if you look at the performances he's put in in the games where he has been given a chance since he was dropped, the latter seems much more likely. Sure, yeah, I, I think it was a kind of game in which late stage Rooney does better. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna say uh, at Talul, even though we we said we won't really talk too much about the Arsenal game. Uh, I just love the phrasing of the question. He says, "Long time listener, first time caller, future friend of the Rankcast." Will United miss Latan versus Arsenal? Well, yes, because uh, you know, no, because he hasn't scored very many goals recently, and no, because he's pretty slow. Uh, yes, because the kind of experience that he has in a big game like this counts for a lot. Yeah, and if he's going to be hitting form again, then obviously we miss him. Well, I think a big question will be how United play, right? So if the default option is to put Rooney up front, then Zlatan is a big miss. Yes. A big, big miss. If the default option is to play Rashford or Martial up front, then you could get a very different United side. I mean, especially given... I mean, Arsenal centre-backs are playing very well this season, but neither of them are super quick. Absolutely. Um, Chris at C Armband, friend of the show, says, can you say some stuff about, this is a great question, Warren Joyce and how he'll do at Wigan? I'm so glad uh, you mentioned that because um, I'm, I've never really been an expert in our youth teams because um, there's only so many hours in the day, isn't there, that you can learn about. But the one thing that I do know is that everyone that is an expert in our youth teams thinks that Warren Joyce will be sorely missed as he's done a very, very, very good job over the years. And and of course, uh, the one thing I did want to say is that, that, that we here at the Rankcast wish Warren Joyce nothing but massive success in wherever he goes next. Wigan is where he's gone, which is unfortunate. I mean, we need to wish him success. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, Wigan's a bit of a mess 
of a club. So he's uh, he's he's not joining uh, a club with tons of resources or really uh, a setup that would take them back into the Premier League. I know they're in the Premier League for a long time, but uh, it's it's a club that's um, not in the greatest shape. Uh, so he's going to need all his smarts. Um, I mean. As, as for his success at United, two, two ways of looking at it, really. One is how much did he win with the reserve team, which is a lot. Fergie-esque levels of success. Um, uh, so many times the reserve team, in all its various names, winners um, and or playoff, you know, great success with the reserve team. The other way of looking at the success, how many players came out of that reserve team and into the United first team. And there's a decent amount. You know, and certainly not a class of 92 levels, um, but Jesse Lingard, uh, Marcus Rashford and a few others have, have come out of that. Um, Paul Pogba. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Does it count? I suppose so. Um, yeah, well, of course, yeah. Um, uh, that that record that uh, some people thought might go won't go anytime soon because Pogba will be in the team every week. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so a decent amount of success, um, you know, with the conveyor belt and churning out young players to get into the um, into the first team. So, you know, he's he's been a great success. Um, and uh, I suppose in a way with a top-class coach, having kept him on United's books for a long time, was uh, a great success on uh, the part of the club too. That said, there's been yeah. a lot of change at youth levels. You know, they brought in a new sort of elite football development person. He's not a director of football. Um, and they brought out, obviously, Nicky Butters, a new academy head and a few new coaches and so on. So I think they realised that um, United's youth setup had, had become a little bit antiquated compared to some, especially City down the road, and they've been trying to make some changes. So, you know, this will be another key appointment because it's uh, it's the structure of getting players out of the, out of the academy uh, into the reserves usually out on loan and into the first team. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's it's the two questions in it. How many players have gone on to have a career at United and how many players have gone to have a career in the game? And it feels like... In in the game, loads, yeah, loads. That yeah. number So is... United were on um, the CIES, uh, which is the, the, the sort of stats observatory uh, for world football. Puts I think puts United second place in Europe. Um, in terms of number of pros churned out of the academy and into into big five league football, and, and that is, it's a more important metric in a way. I mean, obviously, the 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 metric of players making it into the first team is the icing on the cake. It's it's having an academy that builds footballers is you know that that is that's your duty of care to the people coming through the doors, isn't it? And well, it's it's also profitable. Yeah, well, of course, you build yeah. lots of good pr- footballers and uh, sell them on for money or get uh, clauses. Uh, for a fee later, it's, uh, it can make quite a bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Um, at Ryan Dino Seven says, uh, any coincidence that ourselves and Sunderland had good results in a weekend without the managers? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> that one hurts. Um, is it fair to make any judgments on the Swansea game given the starting eleven? Asks at the false number twelve, Tarek, uh, who writes for the the site. Well, it, dep- it depends what you believe, right? If you if you believe, I mean, I don't think it's about the starting eleven. I think it's about Swansea and, and their uh, their complete lack of intensity for forty five minutes or lack of belief. Um, starting eleven, or it depends whether you believe the Gary Neville assessment, which is the players that came in came in because the others weren't very good. 
um, uh, or whether, you know, the players came in, made extra special effort or whether they're all going to be dumped when other players come back anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at, at Gadfather says there's still no confirmation from anyone that there isn't Ed and that isn't just me doing Ed's voice too on the rank cast. That's Ed is a real, I, I'm just not that good. Or, or the AI. I, I did send you an article this week uh, saying Adobe are working on uh, what is it being dubbed the Photoshop of audio. So you know how uh, many genius people, some some with beards and some not, uh, do magical things with Photoshop and uh, create photos that may or may not be real. Um, apparently this can be done with audio now and so it could sample a podcast and just recreate our voices, um, which would be good. We can just type our response <laughs> which you know or, or it'll, in fact the ai will just make a podcast up having watched the game and we will no longer be needed uh, yes i'm terrified of what you're gonna do when that when that exists i i, I already told you what i'll be doing paul <laughs> um at night beverage says why does fifa hate british servicemen so much i i know um uh, I, I know this gentleman through twitter and i would like to assure you ed that he is not being serious um I don't really want to wade too deep into the poppy debate. Suffice to say, there is a blanket ban on all military or political symbols being used in international football matches. So I don't understand why this is complicated in any way. Yeah, true. Um, People say this isn't a military or a political symbol, although it's been very highly politicised by the Prime Minister. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, obviously, if you want to wear a poppy in remembrance of service then and sacrifice, then that is, you know, and you want to support the people who've been through the mill for whatever reason of, uh, you know, been in the military and, and need help, that's... That, that is like that is a noble thing to do uh the kind of collective the the you know it has no value unless it's voluntary right that as a symbol it means nothing unless people are doing it voluntarily and the the thing with fifa it's all very well to say they should make an exception for us but we only think that because we are us yeah uh, if uh, germany were coming to wembley at the weekend and not scotland and decided to wear the uh the um, what's he called? The um, Brandelsberg, the Eagle, uh, in remembrance of their fallen heroes in World War Two. I think we'd get a very different tune. So, which is exactly in the point I'm making. There is the, f- the point FIFA are making is when you take when you make a rule and say you know nothing of political statements. You take that kind of moral judgment out of it. Which is their point, yeah. which doesn't play very well here, of course. No, absolutely. And, and you know, please, if you're offended by this or if you think that this, what me and Ed were saying, is against the poppy uh, as a symbol, well, that's whether or not there's a bigger debate to be had about that. That's not what this is about. This is about FIFA have a really simple rule and it's simple for a reason. And when you start trying to make exceptions for this because you believe that your symbol is different somehow, like, wow. That's a that's a big problem. Anyway, we'll end on a lighter note with at Halvard Hordvik saying, how happy are you with our top four spot in the Europa League table? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, to- talking of which, um, so United's uh, future participation in the Europa League is somewhat in doubt, you might add, uh, say. Um, Jurgen Klopp had a bit of a dig at United this week. Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, CA armband on Twitter uh, might enjoy this section. Klopp said, uh, Klopp was asked about whether the lack of European football was helping his team this season. He said, why don't you ask Manchester United in January? 
Harsh. Somebody, a Bleacher Report shared that on their Twitter and someone was like, oh, that's definitely a George Weyer's cousin um, thing. But no, Klopp really did say that. I don't mind that. It's a bit, you know, silly. You know, he's mucking about. He said it with a grin on his face. He, when we played him the other week, he said loads of incredibly glowing things about Alex Ferguson and then said, oh, am I allowed to like Alex Ferguson? You know, so it's it's just Klopp having fun, isn't it? He'll be laughing on the other side of his glasses when we nick their place in the top four come whenever it is, May. 2019. <laughs> Mourinho's greatest achievement is knocking Klopp off his perch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They're not going to win the title this year. I don't believe it. It's not going to happen. Well, someone's going to win the title. I think it's... Uh, I think the idea that they're not one of the teams that could win the title doesn't seem very sustainable as an idea I mean the, the thought that like City and Liverpool might be going for the title on the last day that that's the point where you wish you'd voted Trump and he had his finger over the big red button that said thermonuclear war by the time the next podcast is uh, released we will know whether the polls are right or not <laughs> and talk, talking of uh, talking of Liverpool maybe winning the league uh, my friend Cal Gildart friend of the show Cal Gildart who um, has done another beautiful art print that's going to be um, uh, a potential backer reward over on Patreon um, there's Latin one still available we're going to do another one as well he says pleased to see no one cares taking advantage of rather not slip up to ensure end of days don't have a clear run at the title <laughs> no one chair cares being Chelsea um, rather not being City and we know who end of days are, don't we? Yeah, indeed. It's good. Uh, Man United's Twitter again. Last last point before we uh, wrap up. At this point, uh, uh, this week, tweeted out, uh, we go again. <laughs> Made famous by uh, Stephen Gerrard, of course. I wonder whether there was a bit of tongue-in-cheek there. I wonder if there was a bit of tongue-in-cheek there. It's interesting to hear Sam talk about the United magazine um, as it was then being um, being so much more independent as a voice. And like, you know, he talked about having representatives from the fanzines in the pages of United's official magazine when uh, when the Sky bid happened. Um, so it was, it was really very, very different times. Uh, yeah, that is some time ago, though. Uh, it's been called Pravda by on the pages of some fanzines for some time, hasn't it? Anyway, you know, enough chat. I, We've got a whole week next week to talk about Arsenal. I don't know how we're going to do that for an hour, but I'm sure we'll manage to to find out. I mean, we've had um, a a terrible game against Fenerbahce and a little bit of a nondescript, at sometimes very good game against Swansea and managed to fill an hour or with Sam's uh, interview, an hour and a half of content for all you listeners. And next week we get to preview Feyenoord as well. an in-depth preview on a meaningless home fixture against Feyenoord. Yeah, well, you know, it, it will be the second of four home fixtures in a row. Maybe this is the chance to, for United to get back some confidence. Arsenal, Feyenoord and two against West Ham. Excellent. Oh, and uh, given that it's international break, shout out to Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford for making the England squad again. So that's good. Especially, especially happy for Jesse Lingard, given he's kind of a peripheral figure, I'm sure. Rashford will be in a lot of England squads for a long time to come, but nice to see Lingard getting recognition because I think he he has shown a great deal of promise. Anyway, we'll be back next week. And if you're a Patreon backer, stay tuned because we're going to do an unspecified period of time on the films of Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Otherwise, for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. Patreon listeners, that bit starts now. 